And now here's another timely yet timeless word from the Word of God from one of our services at First Baptist Church of Crawfordville. Well, there was this five-year-old boy from Texas who was told that the family was going to visit the Grand Canyon. They described it as much bigger than downtown Dallas, and he could hardly wait to see it. And when they finally got there, they asked him, well, what did you think? How did it meet up to your expectations? And with a little frown, he said, I thought you said it was a big cannon. (laughs) I guess he was expecting them to shoot it. And when you're hoping for the Grand Canyon... You can be let down even by something as spectacular as the Grand Canyon. If your expectations are wrong, you can even be disappointed by God. It's not that God is somehow lacking or that He's done something wrong. No, He's far more glorious and perfect than we could ever imagine. But often because of our limited perspective, we feel if somehow He has let us down. And that's where these two weary travelers were as they walked that seven-mile trek from Jerusalem to Emmaus that Sunday afternoon. They had been hoping that Jesus was the promised Messiah who would redeem Israel. But their hopes were dashed when the religious leaders suddenly uh, succeeded in crucifying Jesus. And we've looked at that and just how, you know, dejected the disciples and all of them probably were. They were going home dejected and disappointed. They were still in shock. They didn't understand why God had let them down. And they're talking about their things as they walked. When a stranger catches up with them, and he really wasn't a stranger, right? We know who he was. He's the risen Savior, Lord Jesus. But according to verse 16, their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. Now, the passive voice of that verb, it suggests that God had closed their eyes from recognizing Jesus. And you've got to ask, why would God do that? And as we'll see, we ha- he had some important lessons that he wanted to teach them and us about trusting in His written Word before He allowed them to see the living Word that was standing right there with Him. The story begins with these two men dejected and sad. It ends with them rejoicing in hope. And the overall lesson is that God will turn our disappointment to hope if with His people we will seek the risen Savior through faith in His Word. Now let's take a moment and just go to the Lord. Father, we are grateful for another opportunity to dive into your word. We, we're so grateful for it, Lord. It reveals yourself. It reveals us to ourselves, uh, which we need a good dose of every now and then. And so, God, I pray that you would just speak to our hearts this morning, this morning. Help us to learn from these two folks that are on their way home, dejected, and how it has turned to, to just rejoicing and hope because they saw Jesus. Help us to see Jesus this morning. And it's in His precious name we pray. Amen. Well, the first thing that we have to acknowledge is that although we may not want to admit it, just like these people, these men, we we all face times when we're disappointed with God. Every good doctor first diagnoses the problem before he treats it. And the Lord asks some questions here to draw out the source of these men's spiritual uh, disappointment. And they're doubtedly more, but we're just going to cover four of these because at some times I'm sure we've all struggled with them. So A, we may be disappointed with God because our expectations do not meet uh, His sovereign uh, or match His sovereign purpose. Twice in our chapter, it's emphasized that God decreed the death of Jesus Christ. The risen Savior Himself tells these two men that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer these things. That's verse 26. 
Earlier in verse 7, the angel reminds the women at the tomb of Jesus of his earlier prediction that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified. Now, the Greek word for must and necessary is the same Greek word. It's a favorite term for Luke who uses it 18 times in his gospel. It points to God's sovereign purpose. Luke wants us to know that God is in charge of history, moving it along according to His sovereign purpose. Now, this is especially true of the greatest tragedy in history, the crucifixion of the sinless Savior. Although it was the worst crime that could ever be committed, and the man who did it were responsible before God, God sovereignly ordained it. It didn't thwart His plan, it actually fulfilled it. Now, this truth brings great comfort in a time of tragedy, a time of crisis, if we'll simply cling to it. I find it very comforting to affirm what the Bible teaches in Ephesians 1.11, that God works all things after the counsel of His will. But still, it's hard when we have prayed and we've hoped for something that we thought was God's will, but then it doesn't happen. These men had prayed and hoped that Jesus was God's Messiah who would redeem Israel. And no doubt, they were thinking about political redemption from Israel's enemies. But that wasn't God's will for His Son at this time. So when our expectations don't match God's sovereign purpose, we'll have to wrestle with disappointment with God. Well, B, we may be disappointed with God because He has closed our eyes from seeing the truth about Jesus. And again... This seems like ungod this seems unlike God. Isn't it isn't it isn't it his kind will that his people have assurance? Doesn't he want them to have comfort and hope? Why then would he shut their eyes from seeing the risen Savior? Well, the answer is, is because he has a better reason and a better time. If you'll remember, God closed the mind of the disciples so that they couldn't understand Jesus' frequent words about Him dying. Three times He said He was going to Jerusalem to die, to be crucified. You see, God knew that it was best for them, the disciples, to go through the despair and the confusion of the cross before they came out into the full light of the resurrection. So He closed their minds from grasping those rather plain statements that Jesus made. God knows what is best for us. And so He sometimes closes our minds to the plain teaching of Scripture for a time so that He will learn lessons, so that we'll learn lessons that we never would have learned if we had understood it and embraced it from the start. Now, I've certainly had my share of wrong beliefs in the past, and when God opens my eyes to those wrong things, He uses it in several ways. It brings me to repentance Okay, I'm sorry because I was reading your word wrong. Uh, it also creates humility because <laughs> at times we all think that we know it all, but we don't. And it, it helps me in, in being gracious towards others who are also in error. Sometimes we can experience uh, disappointment with God because He has closed our eyes to the truth in order to teach us a deeper lesson a little later or down the road. We'll see. We may be disappointed with God because we have foolishly focused on part of His Word, but not the whole. The disciples were quick to focus on the glories of Christ's kingdom, but they were slow to grasp the su that sufferings had to precede that glory. They often th thought, won't it be great when we're all reigning there with Jesus in glory? 
but somehow they overlooked the scriptures that predicted the suffering and the death of the Messiah as the sacrifice that he would make for his people. They thought rightly that Jesus would redeem Israel, but they didn't understand that redemption required the offering of himself as the Lamb of God. Now notice the emphasis on all in verses 25 and 27. Jesus is talking to them and he says that they were foolish not to believe in all that the prophets had spoken. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. Their fault was in focusing on parts of God's word, but ignoring other parts. Now, we are often disappointed with God for the same reason. We all like the promises about the good stuff that, that God will do for His children, and there are plenty of them, and they are precious. But what about the promises like 2 Timothy 3.12? There, Paul says, indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Do you have that in your, um, you know, your Scripture promise box? What about Hebrews 12? It promises discipline for all of God's true children. What about the many references to the struggle and the warfare of the Christian walk? It's not always a bed of roses, is it? If we only focus on part of God's Word, we're going to be disappointed when trials hit, as surely they will. Well, D, we may be disappointed with God because we are slow of heart to believe His Word. It's with the heart that we believe in Jesus unto salvation. Paul tells us that in Romans chapter 10. I think that these men had believed in Christ unto salvation. They're called two of them. And if you look at the verses before, it's talking about the disciples and two of them. That is, they were two followers of Christ. But Jesus rebukes them for being slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Well, believers may be slow of heart to believe all of God's Word, especially the difficult doctrines, such as the doctrine of election. It actually confronts our pride face to face. But we'll be prone to disappointment with God if we do not believe all that is written in His Word. If these then are some of the causes of disappointment with God, what's the cure? Well, our, our text shows us that, number two, when we are, are disappointed with God, we need to join with His people in seeking the risen Savior through faith in His Word. Now, there, there are seven parts to this little cure here. A, join with the Lord's people. You know, just think about these two men. They're not walking to Emmaus separately. They're walking there together and talking about the things that had transpired. As soon as they realized that their unidentified guest that they had been talking to for the last couple hours was the Lord, even though it was late, uh, it was a two-hour walk back to Jerusalem in the dark. Nevertheless, they went immediately to share what had happened with the disciples there. And to their great delight and astonishment, the Lord appeared again to the whole group, and they were privileged to witness it. Now, Thomas was there that first Sunday night. You remember that? He, he, he wasn't there. He, and he missed out until the next sun, <clears throat> excuse me, Sunday when he was there and Jesus graciously appeared again. The point is, it's when they were together talking about the things of the Lord that the Lord himself appeared to them. Jesus did not appear to Thomas when he was alone, but only when he was joined by the other disciples. Now, as American Christians, we are far too individualistic. We come to church for years and sit next to people that we don't really know very well. We kind of like our anonymity. 
We make major life decisions such as changing churches or jobs or houses, uh, but we never think to submit our decision to other believers for their counsel, for their prayer. I've met many Christians who have been hurt by other believers, and so they drop out of church altogether, but insist that they're still following the Lord. But you cannot follow the Lord as He intended unless you do it in fellowship with other believers. That's how He has designed it. The church is His body, and body parts can only function in close connection with other body parts. So we need to be a part of the church. Well, B, we need to seek the risen Savior. While these men and the other disciples were at fault for not believing the report of the women, you remember they thought they were kind of loony uh, concerning the resurrection, at least they were right in not being satisfied only with the empty tomb. They say with disappointment, but Him they did not see. They wanted to see the risen Savior. It was seeing Him that turned these disciples' discouragement into great joy and hope. Now, I'm not suggesting that you seek some vision or dramatic experience with Jesus. In fact, I believe that most who claim to have had those types of things are deceived. In John 20, verse 29, Jesus, this is the next week, the next Sunday, Jesus is back, and Thomas is there. Do you remember what he said to Thomas? He asked him a question. Have you believed because you have seen me? And then he says, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. That's faith. That's faith. Believing without seeing. We who know Christ as Savior should seek to know Him personally, more and more, day after day. He has promised to, to disclose Himself to those who keep His commandments. That's John 14, 21. So where do we seek Him? We'll see. We seek the risen Savior in His Word. Um, Jesus took these men to the Old Testament to show them Himself. Moses and the prophets, which is a term that you see used in the New Testament, you know, a few times. It's a phrase that means all of the Old Testament. Uh, I would gladly trade my theology degree for the privilege of being there and hearing Jesus walk them through Scripture by memory, <laughs> bringing it all into focus on Himself. The whole Bible centers on Christ and His substitutionary death on the cross for us. Jesus probably would have started right there in the beginning of Genesis where God shed the blood of an animal so He could clothe Adam and Eve after they had sinned. That pointed to Christ whose shed blood covers our sin. He told them that He was the seed of the woman who would crush the serpent's head. He explained how that ram that was caught in the thicket there in Genesis 22 uh, that, that God actually provided so that Isaac could be spared, that pictures Jesus' death in the place of sinners. You, I, you know He took them through the Passover, through the uh, sacrificial system that was instituted under the law. He walked them through Psalm 22 and Psalm 53, two psalms that reading... And looking back, you go, whoa, that's Jesus. There's no doubt about it. And while, it's, while he spoke, it says here that their hearts burned within them as he opened up passage after passage to them. I was part of a ministry at Celebration. Uh, it was for a few years. It was a ministry, and they called it heartburn. 
And we ate breakfast on a Saturday morning, kind of like we do here, but it was based on this verse here. The heartburn is not because of the food. It's because they're burning to hear from Jesus. Now, many Christians neglect the Old Testament. I believe that there's great profit in reading consecutively through the entire Bible. Don't skip the hard parts and just camp out on the ones that you like. Read it, over, read it all over and over again. And as you read, ask God to open your eyes so that you can see Christ in all of the Scriptures. That's who they're pointing to. Well, D, seek the risen Savior in His Word through faith. Academic learning without faith is simply not enough. We must believe the Word and act upon it as true. The writer of Hebrews tells us about Israel under Moses when he was their leader. They had seen God's mighty works in, in getting them out of Egypt, but now out in the desert they grumbled and they did not believe God, and so he did not allow them to enter into his rest. And then the writer warns, Take care, brethren, meaning you, take care, lest there should be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart in falling away from the living God. We sometimes shrug off unbelief as if it's no big deal. But God connects the words evil and unbelieving. To disbelieve God is to malign Him as not being good. We have to confess our unbelief and seek to believe God's unfailing word of truth. Will we keep a teachable heart when the Lord rebukes you? Have you ever been rebuked by God's word? That's the primary way that we are rebuked. If you'll read it, it will rebuke you, I promise you. Jesus rebukes these men, and they shortly invited him into their home. That's the right way to respond to rebuke from the Lord. Paul tells us that all Scripture is, is God-breathed, and it is profitable for several things. Teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, all those good things. Paul tells Timothy to preach the word, and he told him to do it uh, in this way, to repro reprove, rebuke, and exhort with great patience and instruction. And so many in our day want to have their ears tickled uh, you know, by teachers in accordance with their own desires, somebody that will tell them what they want to hear. But if you want to grow closer to the Lord who is holy... You must have a teachable heart when the Word says to you, O foolish one, and slow of heart to believe. And I promise you, if you spend time in God's Word, you're going to come across this passage and you're going to hear Jesus say, O foolish one, and slow of heart to believe. Did you just see what you just read? <laughs> He'll do it. Well, F, entreat the Lord to stay with you. So after this wonderful uh, discussion on the road, Jesus acted as if he was going to go on to the next village, and uh, they prevailed on him to stay there with them that night. And just as the Lord's earlier questions were the for the purpose of drawing these men out in order to teach them something, so now he's acting as if he's going to go further so that these men will invite them him to their house. And they invited him, and of course he accepts his offer. He always comes into the heart and the home where he's invited. But notice, although he entered their home as a guest, he quickly took on the role of host and owner. 
It's normally the owner of the house who would break the bread and bless it. But Jesus took that role here. Yeah, if you ask the Lord to stay in your heart, be prepared. He's not what we would consider a polite dinner guest. Guest, He's going to take over. <laughs> and gee, when the spiritual highs end, go on in faith, in the Word, and in fellowship with other believers. No sooner did these men recognize the Lord than He vanished from their sight. They didn't even have time to ask any questions. Jesus wanted them to know that He is alive, so He appeared to them. But He wanted them also to know that they would not, his experience, not experience His physical presence as they had in the past. He would now go to be with the Father and He would send the Spirit to be with them permanently. And as soon as Jesus vanished, these men could have been dejected and, and disappointed. They could have tried to conjure up another just great spiritual experience. Instead, they went to gather with other like-minded believers to share what the Lord had done. And after that, they went on in faith, in the Word, and in fellowship. Now, spiritual highs are, are wonderful, but you cannot live on them. I remember... Gosh, 45 years ago, I had one of those spiritual highs. The, the Lord had just broke through, and I can still remember it to this day. And I called Mother and Daddy, and Mother was much older than me. <laughs> she was wise, and she said, Son, that's great. She says, But don't think that you're going to stay there. How many of you ever had a significant spiritual experience to where... I don't know how to explain it, but you know God was right there in your presence. Yeah, I've had, I've had two. We're not made to live off of the highs. Those, 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 you know, there's like high watermarks when you say, yes, I remember, God, what you have done for me, right? Um, the Bible says that we are to live by faith, not by sight. Those high watermarks are sight, that's when God shows up in such a visible way in your life that you say, oh, God, I love you. I submit. I'm yours, whatever. But it's because His presence is immediate. What about when He just steps away a little bit? It's not that He's left you. He tells us He'll never leave us or forsake us. No, that's when He wants us, and this is most of the time, this is when He wants us to walk by faith. Uh, that verse in the Old Testament, the righteous or the just shall live by faith, it's quoted more than any other Old Testament passage in the New Testament. So it must be important. God wants us to walk by faith, not by sight. Well, to, to learn to walk by faith, you've got to be consistent in the Word. You have to spend time daily in the Word. Uh, you've got to gather regularly with other believers to build one another up in the Lord. That's, the, that's what we're supposed to be doing here at church. These discouraged, disappointed men thought that Jesus was dead and gone, when in fact He was the one walking and talking with them as they trudged along that old dusty road there. He was near to them even though they didn't recognize Him at first. And when you're dis disappointed, when you're discouraged in the Lord, you may think that He is a million miles away. But if you're one of His flock, even though you are being faithless and do not see Him, He is there for you. He has promised, I will never leave you nor forsake you. 
in Second uh, Timothy chapter two, uh, there's this little four line, maybe hymn mantra of some sort uh, that that Paul records for us. And one of the lines is, "If we are faithless, He remains faithful because He cannot deny Himself." <laughs> God is faithful. He is there whether you see Him or not. Remember it was to the church at Laodicea that had grown lukewarm that He said, Hey, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in. I will sup with him. I will dine with him and he with me. He wants you to open His Word and invite Him to make its words burn in your heart. He wants you to gather with His people and share together in how He is working in your lives. He will turn your disappointment into hope if you will simply ask Him to come in and stay with you. Let's pray. Father, thank You again just for the blessing of Your Word. We pray that these truths would penetrate the hardness of our hearts. Father, that You would take the scales off of our eyes that we can see this truth and live by it. So God, speak it now. Uh, make it so. Father, do something in our hearts that we know uh, we've been in Your presence. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. We're just going to have a, a, a short invitation to give you a chance to respond. We're also doing the Lord's Supper this morning. But if you do not know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I encourage you, turn to Him. Uh, it is an exclusive thing. Jesus Himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through Me. In, first, in excuse me, Acts 4.12, Peter says, There is no other name uh, given among men under heaven by which we must be saved. Jesus it really is the answer. You need to come to Him this morning if you do not know Him as your personal Savior. If you're a believer, I hope you're just encouraged to know that even when you're discouraged, even when you're disappointed with God, it's not Him. There's something else going on that we simply cannot see yet. He's trying to teach you something, but keep in mind, He never leaves you. He never forsakes you. He walks with you every step, whether you sense it or feel it or know it or not. He is there. Trust Him. If you'd like to join our church, I just encourage you to come forward. We'll do a little bit of paperwork and see about getting you started here with us at First Baptist. So if God is speaking to you this morning, you come and share it with me. You guys stand and sing and Sarah leaves. supper now how many do not have the elements just raise your hand and we'll get you some real quick raise them high Tyler's tall but he still needs you to raise your hands mm -hmm. 
I'm going to be reading Paul's um, take, if you will, on the Lord's Supper. It's, it's the most extensive passage we have in Scripture on the Lord's Supper. It goes all the way from uh, 1 Corinthians eleven seventeen through the end of the chapter, uh, verse 34. So it's a pretty extended passage, and, and the, the church of Corinth... Um, you, you may realize was a troubled church. They had a lot of things that Paul had to deal with. And one of them was the Lord's Supper. Way in the back left. Um, yeah, uh, one of them was the Lord's Supper. They were abusing the Lord's Supper terribly. And uh, so he begins out, begin, starts off this past, are we out? No way. Does anybody want mine? I already did it this morning. Here's one up here, Tyler. Yeah, Sarah did too. We don't need to double dip. Hopefully Tyler's got them. Uh, so he begins off uh, kind of uh, with a, a rebuke of them, telling them some of the things that they've gone wrong. Then in the middle, he says, this is what I received from the Lord, and here's two, and then I delivered to you. Um, and he goes through the Lord's Supper as the Lord explained it to him. And then back in 27, he gets back into talking about some of the negative things. And I, I just want to read this passage uh, for you, beginning in verse uh, 27. He says, Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. Now listen to this. That is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So they were abusing the Lord's Supper. What, did, what do these elements represent? The bread represents his body, and the blood represents, I mean, the, uh, the juice represents his blood. So you've got a picture of the price that was paid for our salvation. All right, it's Christ on the cross. Without that, there's no salvation. Without the resurrection, there's no salvation either. But the cross came, came before that, and this is what we're remembering. So, Miss, Miss Kathy, just, just, just play a quick verse of something. I want you guys to bow your heads, spend just a, a, a few seconds with the Lord. If you've got any unknown sin in your life, confess it. Right? John tells us that if we confess uh, our sin, uh, the Lord is, uh, you know, He will uh, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so I encourage you to do that right now. Just come clean before the Lord.
verse 23, Paul says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, meaning the Lord had told him about that night and what was said. And he says, I've already delivered it to you, but he's going to record it for us again. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for the gift of your son, Jesus. His body on the cross was as nailed there, Father, to be made fun of, to be mocked. And Lord, he died on that cross for our sins. So we give you praise and glory for that. It's in his precious name we pray. Amen. You may partake. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the, proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the shed blood of Jesus. It's what we are redeemed with, the precious blood of a spotless lamb, the lamb of God. We give you praise and we give you glory. And it's in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. And you may partake. Well, one of the Gospels tells us that when they had finished that evening there in the upper room, they sang a hymn before they went to the Mount of Olives. So we're going to close today with just a hymn on Mass Miss Sarah. You guys stand, and we'll be dismissed with, with this hymn. Thank you for joining us for this podcast from First Baptist Church of Crawfordville. You can find more information and follow us on Facebook or visit our website, crawfordvillefbc.com.